Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I could talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Tonight is, or today is, June 4th, 2013. Uh, We have a really, really great show for you tonight. I am really excited to bring on Claudia Christian, who is an actress and a writer and a singer. I was just looking on your IMDb. I didn't realize you were a singer, too. But we are going to talk about her book, which is Babylon Confidential, and it is pretty amazing, so I am just going to bring her on right now. We have, let's see where we have it right here. Let me just bring her on. Hi. Hello there. Hi, Claudia. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, good. I'm really, really excited to have you on. So I know you've been traveling a lot, huh? Yeah, I did the um I did a twentieth anniversary for a TV series I did in the nineties called Babylon Five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did that in Arizona and then I just got back from the book expo in New York City. Um got in there on one AM last night, so <laughs> Oh good. How how did the book expo go? It was great. It was really good. I, I met um I met uh, my publishers from my next book which is coming out in twenty fourteen, which is Tor. That's a totally different fiction book, but um, they're re-releasing Babylon Confidential next spring as well, so with new mm-hmm. stories um, and a new cover and everything. So I met with um, you know with Ben Bella who published it, and they had me signing one day. Uh, I did me- miss meeting uh, Neil Gaiman again on Saturday. I've met him a few times, and he <laughs> I'm sort of a geek fan of his. Um, uh-huh. But I did meet Bill Bryson, so that was kind of cool. Um, wow! Wow! Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was very crowded and very crazy, but uh, as New York always is. But it was it was good. It was good to go out there and um do our meetings and meet people face to face. You know, you you talk to publishers and editors for a year and a half and then finally, you know, you meet them and they're it's so funny because now that I'm now that I'm slightly older, um everyone looks so young to me. It's so oh, funny. Good. <laughs> you know, I met all, I met my editor, and she looks like a little kid. And then I meet the two women that are handling media and PR, and and you know have been with with us basically since the inception of the book, and they look like they're twelve years old. So it, yeah. the whole thing was very funny. The only person that looked my age was the owner of the book, of the publishing company. <laughs> right, right. It's funny. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Yep. When you look at people in there, I, I met with a twenties, yeah, twenty reporter, yeah. right, and she was like thirty-one, and. Yeah, they just start to look really young, and uh, but they yeah. are. You don't realize how young and you know. Well, they could be my kids if they're in their twenties. I mean, I don't have kids, so I always feel like I'm perpetually fourteen years old. So when I meet a twenty-year-old, I have to remind myself like that could be my kid. Yeah. Very, very strange. Yeah, too much. <laughs> wow. Well, I am just so excited. I I didn't put this in the questions to ask you, but I wanted to know: Did you do a radio tour or a TV promotional tour when you first released this book? Now, one of the issues, uh, one of the reasons why they're re-releasing Babylon Confidential is because they kind of um, admitted that they didn't do a lot of PR. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't do any television. I did some sporadic blogs and podcasts and, mm-hmm. and a few mm-hmm. radio shows. I did no magazines, no, no nothing. So um, this time around, we've got a big, powerful LA. 
PR firm behind us, and we're hoping that you know six months of PR will help get it out to more people because you know the most important thing about this book is my publisher said he said you know this is probably one of the two most important books we'll ever publish because it's actually saving lives. Mm. So I'm really grateful for his largesse in that in that way that he's actually going back in paying for PR and I'm so grateful to Ben Bella for doing that and recognizing that this is that was a missed opportunity. Um mm, mm-hmm. yeah, so so that was that's kind of a like finding a unicorn. Publishers don't normally do this and I'm, wow. I'm really really grateful, yeah. It's so important because as I told you when we were talking privately that um we with all the blogging and the people who do such research, we we would have found your book uh, as it got released in 2012, or we would have thought because we were really looking for mm-hmm. stuff that was talking about these other choices, and um, you know, especially the two and a half pages where you talk about your feelings about AA, which I just loved. Uh, but so, uh, you know, the listeners, we have people in the queue. There's a way yeah, let's dive pick. in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you want to begin somewhere, or shall I with one of my questions? Yeah, just go. go. Okay. Go so, when did you when did you start to drink alcohol? Um, I started, I mean, as a teenager, which, you know, uh, as we all know now that if you are genetically predisposed to become an alcoholic, you really shouldn't drink until your brain is fully formed in your early 20s. But like any other teenager and growing up in a European household, there was alcohol in the house. So I had alcohol in my system probably very young, probably eight, nine years old, 10, you know, sip here, sip there. Um, I was a very light, light drinker in my mm-hmm. uh, teens and 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, I never binged or threw up or anything or got crazy. Um, wow, that's there, great. So, yeah, you drank normally for how long? Yeah, I drank normally um, through my teens, 20s. You know, there might have been a, a beer bong party at one point right. when I got drunk or something, but very, very rarely. Um, when I was in my 20s, I, it, was a, it was a huge Saturday night ordeal if my hu- then-husband and I split a, a bottle of wine. That was like, mm-hmm. whoo, we're partying, you know, right. Um, right. and, that, and he weighed about 200 and something pounds, so, right. you know, so, 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 granted, I probably had a glass and a half and thought that, it, that you know, that was really excessive. In my 30s, um, I started going to Renaissance fairs and drinking more and, <laughs> and becoming more of a, a, you know, I threw a lot of great parties, and so mm-hmm. my social life dictated, I hung out with a lot of drinkers, and I started collecting wine in my mid-30s. I would say alcoholism really started to creep in in my late 30s, and I started to notice, um, you know, that it was, I was drinking more, and on weekends, you know, it was okay to drink during the day, which is something I never did, and then, mm-hmm. you know, and then it would, it was a nightly thing, wine, and, um, and you know, I really enjoyed, I had a big library, and I would light a fire and have a bottle of wine, and that to me was normal, and then... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until my till you know people started telling me things like, "Boy, you really drink fast," you know, and things like that. Or my mom would say, "Well, you really made a fool of yourself at that Thanksgiving or something." You know, all these little things creep in, just like any other alcoholic can recount stories of when they thought they, you know, and make a long story short. When I finally realized that I did have an issue, I. I thought, well, I'll just quit cold turkey, which, as we now know, you know, causes alcohol deprivation in someone right. who is clearly already an alcoholic, um, having had it on both sides of my family and addiction in my family as well. Um, so I would bounce from, you know, staying sober from one month to eleven months. Never quite made the one-year mark, and um, and then I would fall off the wagon. And over the years, these fall-offs would, you know, my my year was basically broken down as to how many times I fell off the wagon. And had a binge. And so mm-hmm. some years it was one binge, some years it was three binges. And these binges became progressively worse and worse and worse. And and that is a typical binge drinking scenario in an alcoholic's life. Is because of the alcohol deprivation, when you do fall off, you become rapidly physically addicted to the alcohol. So for me, it was a matter of, you know, oh, look how disciplined I am. I'm perfect. I'm sober, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, and in in, in the, those interim, and then of course falling off and hiding in my house and drinking until I got sick, and then having to recuperate, which was the worst. And of course, I always went cold turkey, not knowing how many brain cells I was 
killing instead of yeah. tapering, which you can do. You don't even right. have to medically taper. Right. Which is what I'm on now, the Sinclair method, which we'll discuss. But to get back to the methodologies that I tried, I mean, I tried AA, I tried uh, rehab. My mom, you know, insisted I go to this swanky Northern California rehab where all we did was yoga and watch stupid movies, and that did nothing for me except drain my bank account of thirty thousand dollars. And wow, yeah. Oh my, was it a thousand dollars a day? Thousand dollars a day, yeah. To basically, and within, you know, I'm so I'm. I'm such a great actress that within four days I had cell phone privileges, internet. I convinced them I was not an alcoholic. I I I found out where the sugar stash was. I was stealing cookies. I mean, within four days I had this place. It was a joke. You right, know, you right. get one one therapy session with a with a uh, with a anorexic and a heroin addict. I mean, what do they have to do with alcoholism? It it was such a it was such a poorly run thing. And 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 what is yoga going to do for an alcoholic, really? I mean, honestly, I mean, we're talking well, about treating treating the. I mean, okay, it's great to do yoga and it's great yeah. to have therapy and all these things can right. add up to healing. I'm not negating that, but I'm saying right, right. the actual learned behavior neurologically. How do you undo that? And that's what always bothered me was that none of these things, prayer meetings, standing up saying you're an alcoholic, mm-hmm. uh, doing yoga, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. watching movies. None of this is actually medically treating your issue, you know, which is that your neural pathways are firing at such a rate that you become compulsive about something, whether it's, you know, uh, binge eating or gambling or alcohol. Well, you know, I, I know that you're younger than I am, but I was just talking to my son, who's 18, about how entrenched Alcoholics Anonymous have gotten into our culture, the words that we use, even some of the words that you're using, like alcoholism and sober and stuff like this, but they really hijacked, I feel like, our whole culture in the way we look at stuff. And one of the things that, and I, you know, I'd like to have people with all different points of view, but I was really so excited because you are the first woman, I mean, Gunther is one of our bloggers who actually used the Sinclair Method and now treks on, and I interviewed him for my film, and so, I mean, I know we're going to go all, all over the place, and that's fine. But, uh, you know, you were somebody who, it sounds like you did a lot of research. Did you, you know what I mean, when you finally found out that you could use this drug? And um, Well, what happened was uh, I my very last binge, which was in 2009, after a long bout of sobriety, I fell off the wagon. And um, it was the first time in my life, the last time in my life, that I really thought I was going to die. I started to have mini seizures. Wow. I had gone cold turkey. I started losing motor function. Wow. And so I told my friend, um, please take me to a medical detox center. I don't know what else to do. So she right. found me one, and I went. And uh, once again, you know, I'm a human cockroach. Within one day, I was, in less than 24 hours, I said, I'm out of here. These people are treating me like crap. You know, it was, you know, it's, it's, it's just... You know, it was just such a horrible experience, um, and I and I I felt better. You know, I felt better within 12 hours. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I recuperate very quickly. So anyway, right. on the way on the way out, I grabbed a flyer for Vivitrol, thinking that I was out of my desperation. I never wanted this to happen again, and it said something about cravings. And I grabbed the flyer and I went home, and it was a thousand bucks a month. And I thought, well, you know, at this point, I'll try anything. I've tried, right. you know, I've tried hypnotherapy for God's sake. I'll try this. So. So I called them uh, dozens of times, and they never called me back. And wow. it was very strange, and, and nobody mm-hmm. ever called me back to set up the appointment to get the shot. So I ended up researching what Vivitrol was and found out it was naltrexone. And then, just by Googling naltrexone, I ended up seeing The Cure for Alcoholism, the book. And, and I said, what the heck is this? So I looked into that. I looked up. I saw naltrexone. I started researching like crazy, and I said, "Oh my goodness, this could be." The, I, I looked at the, the, you know, the, the place where everyone was chatting, the chat room. I looked at the, the websites, and I thought, "Oh, this could be the answer to all of my prayers." And so I immediately ordered naltrexone online from India. Um, I did. I, I immediately ordered. I I did. I put an order in immediately. Uh, I knew it would take six weeks, and I thought, well, I'm going to stay sober for, you know, uh, I don't know how long, but this is my backup plan. Right, right. And so um, I 
then as the, the you know I put the order in and I got the book eventually so now weeks are going by and I'm sober and I'm reading the book and I'm researching more and more and more so by the time the pills came I realized I'm not going to wait until I fall off the wagon I'm going to do this now because I want to create this pharmacological extinction Dr. Sinclair is talking about right so when the pills did arrive I did it uh, I took it I, and I tried to drink on it and maybe drank a half a glass of wine and ever since that fateful day what four years ago I have been the happiest person in the world. I'm I'm back to myself. I'm normal. I'm happy. I don't obsess about alcohol. I don't think about alcohol. I'm just back to where I was in my 20s, and I'm oh. absolutely great. And I I called Doctor. I, I called Ben Bella, the publishers, right? And I said I I really want to get a hold of this Doctor Sinclair and thank him for saving my life. Uh, mm-hmm. Can I talk to Doctor Scapa first? You know the guy who wrote the book. Right. He put me in touch with Doctor Scapa. We had a long chat. He was in New York. He was so gracious. He called me. We cut, we talked, and I said, "Listen, I'm an actress. I have a I have a little fan base, but I'm not, you know, somebody really famous or anything. But I, what can I do to help you?" And he said, "Write a book." He said, "We need all the press we can get and all the help mm-hmm. we can get, and you would be wonderful." And that's what I started doing, and that was uh, what, two and a half years ago. I started um, the process of writing the book, getting a publisher, which happened to be Ben Bella, same same publisher as his book. Um, mm-hmm. And just uh, yeah, so I think the whole process took about three years, and and um, and through that I've obviously stayed on the Sinclair method and put about a uh, hundred people on it myself um, from here to England, all over the world, and I have had a one hundred percent success rate with the people that I've that I've um, taken through the entire process and talked them through it and you know provided support and everything. I've had a hundred percent success rate. Everybody is either down to normal safe drinking levels or they've quit. So it's wow. just, it's just amazing. Yeah. It's it this thing, you know, this works. I I've not only seen it on myself, I can say that I'm not a fluke. Right. It's it's worked right. for diehard alcoholics and it's worked for people who just wanted to cut down. So I everybody out there, we have a few people in the chat room. There's uh, about seven or eight people. Uh we are talking to Claudia Christian actress from Babylon 5 and done a lot of other things, Nip Talk, one of my favorite shows uh, Claudia <laughs> was also on. But the main reason we're talking to Claudia is that she wrote a fabulous book called Babylon Confidential, a memoir of love, sex, and addiction. And I want to say this is a page-turner. I was like, just like, like, you know, really going through it. So if anybody <laughs> out there... Uh, now, have you been on uh, Dr. Drew? Maybe he needs to have you on. Uh, have I you been almost... on Dr. Drew's podcast or on live with him? I was actually almost on Dr. Drew, and then they canceled at the last minute, and I believe it's because, like, five people from the celebrity rehab, had, you know, the fifth person had just died. And I think that maybe it wasn't right timing to for him to start talking about an alternative treatment. Or he maybe he was not supportive of it. I don't know, but I was supposed to go to CNN at, like, 3 o'clock, and they called and said, no, 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 um, it's not going to fit into our show. And I've never heard back. But I'm going to definitely, uh, you know, I'm going to, try them again and and I hope the PR firm that's now hired will try Dr. Phil and all these other people and the doctor shows I mean you know yeah you, you they really do like he just had I think because when the fifth person died I mean I certainly put up on my blog that he had on Dr. Kern and his partner uh I I just listened to it yesterday and they are called alternatives or the alternatives in Beverly Hills and there is now a face-to-face moderation meeting going on there run by Dr. Kern who has always done moderation himself, and I think maybe because of the fifth death, he's probably he's starting to open up his mind. Oh, he was on Doctor Drew. I mean, Doctor Phil. Uh, yeah, Dr. they were they were Dr. on Doctor. Um, they were on uh, Doctor Drew's. Um, I think a couple of weeks ago. Oh, then I'm going to mention that. Yeah, you, you should. had somebody you, on that was right. espousing moderation. It, it's time. They're going to start okay. to, because I, I, yeah, and I really think that that's part of, now there were a lot of people in the chat room. There were so many people uh, chatting and asking questions as you were talking. I did not want to interrupt you. But I oh. just want everybody uh, to know, uh, like, some of the facts and the background. I want to just ask you this. So from the time you got the naltrexone from India, you just, mm-hmm. you know, you followed the directions, and you went from drinking how much to what? Well, I, I, because at that point I was a binge drinker, so um, when I would binge, I would binge until I was sick. I mean, I would I would start with a glass, and then the next day have two glasses, and the next day have three glasses, and then I was drinking a bottle, and then I would move on to basically, you know, uh, you know, it, I, it just turned into a mess until I was poisoning myself. 
you know, uh, and the binges wow. would last like three days, and then it would take me a week to recover. Um, it always started off innocuously enough because that's just, that's the insidious thing about the alcoholic brain is that when you've been sober for eight months, it tells you. You're not an alcoholic. You just went eight months without a drink. Go ahead and have a glass of wine. And then you do have that one glass of wine, and you don't immediately, at least I wouldn't immediately start binging. I would have the one glass of wine and go, oh, well, that was nice. I just had a glass of wine with a meal, and I was fine. But mm. then the next day, mm-hmm. I would have, I would do it again. And then the next day, I would do it again. And then I was drinking all day. And, you know, and it just it spiraled out of control towards the end where the binges would come faster and harder. And, I mean... You know, I'm not kidding you when I, you know, you read it in my book. I mean, I, I walked to Ralph's at 8 o'clock in the morning to get right. alcohol right. to stop shaking. I mean, because I was trying to, to, you know, just to go cold turkey and I would start to shake. I was, you know, I mean, it, it was bad. It, yeah, you, it, can, you can die from it. I mean, Amy Winehouse yeah. died from, you know, yes. she died. If, if she would have been given your method and not the yeah. 12-step method, she would still be alive. If she would have tapered, yeah, right. going cold, going yeah. cold turkey off of alcohol. And the, the neat thing about the the Sinclair method is that even if you're a diehard alcoholic, even if you have liver damage, you can take nalmefene, which doesn't isn't isn't processed through the liver. But you can taper at home. So, you know, if you've mm-hmm. got somebody who's who's waking up and needs a drink, you you slip them a naltrexone, and and then you know an hour later they can drink a little alcohol and taper off on, you know, some people taper off on beer or a, a lighter alcohol. Right. Um, right. You know, and instead of spending three to four thousand dollars on a medical detox, you can taper, and 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 as you're tapering, you're creating the pharmacological extinction in the brain. So you're doing two things at once and saving a heck of a lot of money, which you know a lot of people aren't insured these days, and they're worried about, um, you know, where they're going to get the medication. That's another thing about naltrexone. It it is a low grade prescription and it's inexpensive. But you know, online it's 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 six times or seven times as expensive as if if you have insurance, it can cost anywhere from ten cents to a dollar a pill. Online, it's anywhere from, I think the cheapest I've ever seen it is four dollars a pill or three dollars, and most expensive is usually about ten dollars a pill. Mm. Can you give us the name of the doctor who people can go see? Well, I I go to a doctor in Sherman Oaks here um, in Los Angeles. Am I allowed to say his name? <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh. I, it might be helpful to some people who hear. If oh, you can. okay. Um, I go to Doctor Joey Brett B R E T T in Sherman Oaks. He's on Riverside Drive, mm-hmm. and um, he has prescribed naltrexone for me. And he's taken a lot of the the patients in that I've sent um, to start the Sinclair method. He's I've probably sent him. About ten people. Um, the only thing I want to clarify is that uh, even he, who has read—well, I don't know if he read the book—but who has been given all the information on the Sinclair method mm-hmm. and all the information I've given him, including copies of *The Cure for Alcoholism* by Dr. Scott and everything, even he made—you know—told one of my people that I sent in there. Okay, now take this every morning. And that is not the way you take naltrexone. I right. mean, I couldn't right. believe it. I wrote him a two-page missive saying, what the hell are you doing You know, right. prescribing this the old-fashioned way, which is, you know, doctors in America are told to prescribe naltrexone as a daily uh, anti-craving <laughs> yeah. medication and to oh, take God. it in the morning. And that's completely incorrect. You don't do right. that. You, right. you take it an hour before you have alcohol so that it can block those endorphins, not the naturally derived endorphins that you produce from good things like working out and holding babies and eating spicy food and having sex and all that stuff. So it's it's extremely important that you do it the way this, that Dr. Sinclair says to do it. Otherwise, you might as well be taking a sugar-coated candy pill in the morning. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that you went briefly to AA. Did you ever consider yourself a member? No. No, no I, I went actually more than briefly. I mean, I, I, I tried AA in London. I tried it in Los Angeles. I tried it at various different places. I went up, uh, went with my brother up in Big Sur. I mean, I, I, I went to many, many different meetings thinking maybe this is the wrong meeting. Maybe I shouldn't go to the one in the Valley or the one in Beverly Hills or the one – maybe this one in London is, you know. And every single time – um, first of all, I deeply resented having to stand up and say I'm an alcoholic because I didn't want to be an alcoholic. And mm-hmm. I had been, you know, I'm sober for nine months, and I'm thinking, what good is it that you're standing up and reinforcing this negative thing that you want to kill anyway? Mm-hmm. And, and so that that bothered me. And then, mm-hmm. of course, calling me a bad person because I'm falling off the wagon, that I didn't surrender to the higher power enough. I have mm-hmm. a very strong relationship with my higher power, and mm-hmm. I have since I was a child, since my brother died. I've always been connected to something spiritual, and I've 
always had a very strong spiritual life. So you can't tell me that God hates me because I'm falling off the wagon, or you can't tell me that the universe or whatever you believe in, whatever you want to call your higher power, is angry at me and I'm a bad person. And it felt so negative. Everything always felt like it was my fault. That's a bunch of BS. I got somebody peed in my gene pool badly, you know, yeah. and, and 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 I did the two things you're not supposed to do when you have a predilection for becoming an alcoholic. I drank, and I had the gene, you know, and and that that's in my mind it's scientific, and and you know, um, it, for me AA just felt like I'm I'm listening to a bunch of sad sack stories and sob stories and this and that, and I'm l- looking at a guy who's been sober for 40 years who's still obsessed with alcohol. Because right. he's still going to meetings, he's still standing up there, he's still saying he's a bloody alcoholic. You've you've been sober forty years, dude. Get a life. Go. You, you're right, clearly right, right. not. You know, clearly alcohol doesn't run your life anymore. So get out there and enjoy your life, and don't stand up and say, "Hi, I'm Dave, and I'm an alcoholic." I mean, it. It just for me, it, the whole thing seemed so. It you know, it, it didn't seem. It didn't fit me. It didn't feel right to me. What I wanted was a medical solution, and I am not a pill popper. I've never been. You know, I, I took drugs in the 80s like everybody else, a little bit of mm-hmm. cocaine or whatever, mm-hmm. never smoked pot, never tried anything harder than Coke. Um, you know, I, I I never was one of these people who took pain pills. In fact, I hate them because they don't do anything for me and they make me right, nauseous. Right, right, right. So, so for me, you know, it's just for me, though, I still thought there has to be a medical way. This is, this is the year 2009 at the time, and I thought this is ridiculous that there's got to be something that undoes it. There's something for for yeah. smokers. There's something for for losing weight. There's appetite suppressants. Why isn't there a craving suppressant that works or something? You know, I was always looking for that that magic pill, and and lo and behold, I found it. Well, I think they don't want to find it because the rehabs it's become a billion dollar industry. It's and a if, massive if all, industry. If for the people who need like extra therapy, so there's people who you know there's the whole belief system that a lot of people, especially women, drink because they were you know sexually abused sure. or something happened as teens, sure. and so they're acting out. And there's that portion, but you know I met a lot of men, especially when I you know was in AA in my early years in the 70s who were very successful men, and, you know, there was no gene thing, okay? So I want to talk about that with you, too, some more later. But they just got into, you know, successful businesses, and they were working in the ad industry, or were they working at the stock market where all the men drink sure. too much? And so when they came to AA and they stopped, they were considered that garden-variety alcoholic, which I don't even like the word anymore, but they were just were able to stop. Like, they didn't have underlying issues, you know what I mean? Right. And there is a whole core of people... I don't want to say there's more men than women because a lot of women are drinking more than they they used to, but that just all through their work began to drink, drink like you. You know, even though you drank really young, I mean, I don't think there is a gene about it. Like, you know, I, I've tried to. I mean, if you can find the real science behind it, I want you to send it to me because I mean, even my son who's so brilliant, he said, you know, I'm I can sing, right? I'm a really good singer, and but my sons see they have that gene, but they don't want to sing. Right, and so even though if they started to take lessons or started to come to karaoke and, and sing, they're going to be like, "Oh wow, you can sing," but it doesn't mean they're going to become a singer. Well, that's the same thing as looking at me. I have I have two siblings. One of them became an addict. The other didn't, and yeah. the other the other drank, and d- he probably didn't do drugs. I mean, maybe smoke pot or something, but he didn't become addicted to anything. Now, right. of course, you can say. Um, that the other sibling who became an addict suffered a very bad accident and was in pain, much right. like Jeff Conaway who passed away. He had a back injury, so he became right. addicted to opiates. Right. Well, I had many accidents and was given many, many opiates over the years right. and would take one and go, yuck, this isn't for me, and give them to my friends who were opiate addicts. Right. So how come right. I didn't become an opiate addict? Right. And my brother right. did, and how come I became an alcoholic and my brother did and my other brother didn't? My other brother can drink, you know, whatever and... and he he drinks maybe once a week uh, a couple glasses of wine. So how come he dodged the bullet? Well, right. you can't say it's, right. it's because he didn't suffer trauma because he suffered the same trauma we did. We all right. lost another sibling. He right. was there when my brother died. So how come he didn't become an alcoholic? So I, I do believe that you know that it's it's circumstance. It's also the fact that I drank more than him growing up, probably more consistently because he was in college studying to be a genetic engineer. I was married, drink, you know, socializing, throwing dinner parties. He probably didn't, you know, he was one of those science nerds. He probably didn't drink as often, maybe, or uh, whatever the case is. I, I do think, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I think what I'm trying to say is that I don't believe in that, that people become alcoholics 
on a physiological level because they were raped or because they're going through divorce. I think that they drink more because they were raped or because they were going through divorce or because their child died. I believe that they drink in reaction to these things Mm -hmm, to numb mm -hmm, their feelings. mm -hmm. I completely Mm -hmm. agree with that, and I think that therapy can help with that. But I do believe that if you have that extra thing in you, and I call it the the gene factor, you may not agree with me, but Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. believe that that is what makes you the compulsive physically addicted alcoholic or addicted to alcohol. I I think that if you put three people in the exact same family, two became alcoholics, one didn't. We all had the exact same childhood. So, so, so there goes the. You know, I, I do believe he dodged the bullet. I do, and well, the thing is, is that my radio show and the blogs now provide a place where a sane conversation can happen, where you can't have this in AA, and you really couldn't. I mean, hopefully, you're going to have it on Dr. Drew's. You know what I mean? And all these right. other people, when you are going to talk about this, then this brings me to another point. As you know, and I do consider you to be a movie star, someone who has had a very, very successful career, you've made a living as an actress. We have a city infested with people in AA. Now, Mm -hmm. I know that, Claudia, there are many, many people who get DUIs, they go through the system, Mm -hmm. they get sent there because they don't know their rights, they don't know that they can say, hey, I don't want to go to AA, I want to go to SMART, I want to go to SOS, I want to go to harm reduction, I want to go to moderation. Mm -hmm. Have you been able to use this voice of yours? Are, Are there other stars that you have to talk about, anybody's name here, where you have built some kind of community the way they have built their community about the steppers, right, how they use that. Right. What is your experience without having to name any names? Well, uh, it's interesting because I personally reached out to a lot of celebrities that I saw either making, you know, you know, making public displays of their alcohol abuse, you know, falling out of cars or doing speeches slurred or, right. you know, I, I, and people that were rumored to have been in and out of the revolving door of rehab um, and people who I knew were in and out of rehab. Uh, there was a couple actresses that I know had at least gone four or five times. And, you know, I saw one of them on a YouTube thing where she was completely loaded, you know, giving right. a speech. And, and so I reached out to these people through their publicists. I wrote a really nice letter saying, you know, there's another way. I know that rehab hasn't worked for you, and I just want to talk to you about, you know, the Sinclair method. You don't need to quit drinking. You know, in fact, you have to drink through the process of this and this and this. And, I mean, I, I reached out to dozens of people, and I guess because I don't know them personally, uh, I don't know if the letters ever got to them or if they just weren't interested or whatever, but I didn't hear back from one. It's a very, Mm. see, any sort of addiction is such a, you know, it's such an embarrassing, uh, morally judged thing still even in this day. You know, people think that you're weak or you're, you know, why can't you just stop and all that. Um, And I think a lot of people uh, are are in a bubble in Hollywood. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, I agree with you. You know, yeah. in, in, until somebody actually has to pay the penance and the price mm-hmm. for what they do, until a Lindsay Lohan actually does, you know, serve the time that she's, <laughs> you know, until somebody grabs her and says, look, we care and helps her, you know, um, and gives her a different option other than just letting her go free, uh, you know, every time she gets in an accident or a DUI, um, you know, nobody's even talking about other ways to handle these people's addictions. You know, Robert Downey Jr. has been uh, vocal. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman recently said, well, I was sniffing heroin. Most of the time they come out because they're afraid of being caught out. You know, they they they, they want to immediately say, oh, this is what I'm doing. I'm going into rehab because they don't want the press to, to you know, release it before they release the information. And I think it's great that everyone's talking about, you know, the going into rehab quickly for their addiction. But unfortunately, and this is what we're talking about, is nobody's talking about alternative methods, right. alternative treatments. They're right. always talking about, I'm going to pop into rehab. And, it, and frankly, to me, it just seems like a publicity stunt. Because is it really going to change them physiologically? Is it going to, is it going to make them cra- not crave drugs and alcohol anymore? You know, it's 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 pretty bad. I mean, you know, a lot of people say you quit sugar and yeah, eventually you you stop craving it, but then make them go work in a bakery after, you know. <laughs> Are they going to be able to stay away from it then? I mean, it's it's you know, it's 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 just uh, it's unfortunate that that I'm I'm up against a huge, you know, mountain because people don't even doctors don't even know about uh naltrexone or the Sinclair method. When I went to Dr. Brett, I said I really want this drug and he was like, I don't even know what it is. Uh, normally it's used to bring heroin addicts out of yeah, overdose. It's, it's a it's a big job. I want to let everybody know we we are talking to Claudia Christian, who is the actress and the writer of the author of Babylon 
Confidential, Babylon Confidential. It is a great book. Somebody gave it to me, and I just uh, tore through it and was so excited and waiting to find out what happened and how you got help. So I want to encourage anybody out there, uh, the way was uh, the Sinclair Method and using naltrexone and never stopping and using moderation. Bringing me to, uh, they're just chatting away in here. A lot of people are talking about so many things. Uh, I can't even follow the chat. It's going so fast. Um, One of the things that you mentioned that I really feel and I see is that we are up against something that uh, started to become entrenched in our medical world back as far back as in the 70s and 80s. Somebody just sent me uh, a report that somebody wrote. Uh, it's a medical whistleblower report. I'll, I'm going to send it to you. It's 360 pages long and shows how entrenched AA and mm-hmm. its members have gotten in in so many ways. Like, here's a story I'm going to ask you. Do you know about the story that uh, the LA, uh, that um, California, we do not... Uh, do background checks when you want to work in a rehab to see if you're a sex offender. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah, right? I, I have heard that. Yeah, right. This is like yeah. that's really bad. Okay, now who made who? Let me see who made that loophole, Claudia. Yeah, <laughs> I can tell you who did it because I got you know I don't like to use the word I got sober because I don't use those words anymore. Right. Like I. I have an issue with lots of words, even that you're using, even though I'm just letting you just go because yeah. you are you. And But part of my deprogramming, because I was in AA 36 years, and I'm horrified that now that I was in it, that I drank the Kool-Aid for so long, and I didn't drink all the Kool-Aid. <laughs> 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 um, I was around to watch those people get entrenched in our government and in social work and in everywhere they could. Mm-hmm. And so, but the thing that I think we have to create is this community, and Laura Tompkins is in here, and Amy Lee Coy is in here, and those are two women who are here in Los Angeles, where we, one of the things that, and I, I didn't even think about this till just now I'm talking to you, that I, my idea was to go to the Writers Guild mm-hmm. and to put a panel together, because we have to get to Hollywood and the writers, and whether it's me and Amy and Laura and somebody from You Could Be You could represent the Sinclair Method and Dr. Kern and somebody from Smart Recovery. And I say we want to do a panel for the writers and to talk about let's go somewhere else besides a fucking AA meeting when mm-hmm. a character has a problem. You want to save lives? Let's give you yeah. some numbers, right? That's a great idea, actually. That's mm-hmm. a really good idea. Right. Put it in so, popular culture on a TV that's show. Right. We need to change the TV shows. And let's, if you're going to, you know, you want to put somebody in a meeting, at least be honest about it. And there isn't a trained leader there, there's a trained leader at Smart Recovery. That has mm-hmm. six weeks of training. And, you know, just the fact that this thing exists. Like some people say to me, well, I thought that AA was a government agency. I was talking to a writer from The Cleveland Show, and that's what he said to me. I thought that it was a government agency because if if you get a DUI, which, you know, he was laughing. Yeah, then they, they, yeah, they yeah. make you go. Yeah. They, 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 you know, well, they tell you to go, right? And everybody thinks you have to go. Well, yeah, and no, the, the other thing I, I, I keep wondering about is why so many, uh, if, if you're really truly out to save people and to help people, why we can't work together. And, and if, right. if, if there's this revolving door going in and out of AA, people dropping in, tra- dropping out, and rehab, multiple, multiple visits, you know, they, they don't go once, they go four times, and it still doesn't work, then why can't we take these hardcore cases, you know, the people who, well, actually, they're not even hardcore cases because the majority of people do, quote-unquote, fail, and that's right. the word, I don't want right. to say that word, but they fail at AA or rehab, um, then why can't we offer them the option of saying, look, get you know get get the create the extinction in your brain so you stop the cravings and the compulsion with the Sinclair method mm-hmm. you know be, and and then if you really really you know if you achieve sobriety through the Sinclair method and you feel that you need a support group then you can go to one of these other places as a regular meeting if you need that you know it, it, but what i'm saying is that instead of even offering it they just say oh you failed come back to the meeting instead of right. saying, you know, oh, you've been in and out of re- uh, rehab, in and out of AA meetings. Clearly it's not working for you. It's not doing anything. Why not just pull them aside and say, look, maybe you're a prime candidate for the Sinclair Method, so go do that. You know, it'll take three to six months to create the extinction, and after that, if you need a support group, you know, uh, and you've quit drinking or whatever, then come back to AA or whatever. And maybe they choose not to, and they just become normal social drinkers again and, and reclaim their lives. But I don't understand why it's my way or the highway. Right. You know, and that's the thing I, I really strongly dislike. I'm not dissing anybody or anything. If it works for them, I'm happy their life is saved. 
because any, believe me, anything that would have worked for me, I would have been grateful for. And anything that works for, works for the people I see suffering, fine. You know, if, if you were in AA for 36 years, I mean, but we talked about that before. Maybe you weren't even an alcoholic, but, right, <laughs> you right. know, but, um, but you, you know, know from, let, me say, let me say that, and and you know what, that's probably the case. But the thing that's not fair that I think is horrible, that what they said to me was, well, identify, don't compare, change school to work, and you know, substitute these words. And the only, and then I'd say, and then it really got to a point at about two years, like between eighteen months and two years. So I'm like nineteen and a half years old and twenty, and I'd be sitting in these meetings listening to these people that were all twenty years older than me, and I'd be like, oh my god, I I don't I don't identify, I don't, and they were like. Yeah. You know, well, you know, all it, uh, the only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. Do you have a desire? All you need? And I remember thinking, like, oh, my God, i got to get out of here. And it was at that point that I could have, like, run the fuck out of there, you know, but I mm-hmm. didn't. But I do think that they should have took me aside and said, you know, you really don't belong here, honey. Like, yeah. go, to get, go, go to college, go get therapy, get the fuck out of here. But, no, it was all about you know, bringing me in, bringing me to prison meetings so that I could be the, you know, bringing me to speak at high school so that I can, and they get you with your ego by stroking yeah, your ego that well, all that's like a cult. You know, yeah, <laughs> that's, so that is a like cult. A cult. <laughs> and then it is a cult. I want to read something from your book. Can I read like something yeah, right here? Yeah, of course. Okay, so it says something about, so you're talking about uh, the first time at an AA meeting during one of my visits back to L.A., I'd gone to the Beverly Hills meetings because I heard that there were cute guys there and one of them came right up to, right up to me and said, we don't shake hands here at AA, we hug, in quotes. <laughs> Something about that sent a shiver up my spine. It was as if they, they were there as a comfort group to sugarcoat something that was deadly serious to me. A hug wasn't going to fix the monster. You can't wrap a viper in a knit wool sweater, give it a hug, and expect it not to bite you. The monster doesn't fuck around. The monster is playing for keeps. And I'd been to one other meeting with my brother in Lake Arrowhead that was mainly a bunch of old-timers talking about the shittiest things. I went to done. that one. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but the, the hug thing, I mean, I just got to tell you, when I read that, I just was like, wow, you really had, uh, like, that intuitive thing. Of, I mean, the way you put it. It felt really creepy to me because it felt like all of these, and, and, and frankly, I felt like half the people there were drinking because of emotional responses and for things that they had suffered, molestation, you know, uh, abuse, whatever. A lot of these people had serious problems that they weren't confronting. And I thought... It, these meetings are, are are not one-on-one psychotherapy. They're not going to help these people get through the reasons why they're drinking. And 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 yes, you know, for some people it's a family and it's a group and it's support and all that stuff. But it just it just seemed insidious to, for some reason. I, I was in there every, every single meeting was the same. By the way, listen well, to the old timers bitch yeah, about their life. Yeah, well, there's so much sexual predation. I mean, that's what my film started about was to deal with the sexual predation that's yeah. the thirteen stepping with the old timers. And then finding out that now they're sentencing the sex offenders there, and they're sentencing the violent criminals. They're just dumping it, uh, you know. But I want to read one more paragraph uh, mm-hmm. here. It says, I came to the conclusion that if some people benefit from it, then great, good for them. But this was not the way for me. I was tired of fighting. I didn't need support or love or strangers sharing their pain with me. I didn't need hugs and handshakes from withered-up smokers or sugar junkies with fat bellies. I needed a cure. I needed my life back. And then it talks about how you went and you started buying all these books. And um, did you ever find? Uh, did you go onto the blogs? Did you find anti-AA blogs when you were? I, yeah, I mean, I I found a lot of people that that had been disheartened and and some people that were really punished and and very sensitive souls. And somebody that you know, look, I've been an actress for thirty years. At that point, mm-hmm. it, you know, you could you could you can turn me down or tell me I'm too tall or too this or too that and it doesn't hurt me i've got a very thick skin but a lot of these people that went to aa and quote unquote and i use quotes failed um right. you know to to be the perfect aa uh candidate mm-hmm. were vilified and embarrassed right. and right. and i didn't feel that that was supportive or loving or godlike at all no. <laughs> i found i found that that was the antithesis of a loving mm-hmm. god a loving god loves you no matter what so it just it everything just seemed to be it, very, very strangely, um, it did, didn't add up to me. Nothing added up, and I, and it, and it, it, it also felt, and I, and I, and I say this with, with, you know, complete 
naivete because I don't know monetarily or financially, you know, how these what happens within the whole AA community. Um, mm-hmm. I know that they, you know, they ask for donations, and I know that there's some people that do help the groups form and stuff like that. But it just felt to me like uh, a pyramid scheme or something, like um, right. like a, like a, <laughs> you know, um. You could see it probably as stupid. Like, you know, I don't know what it is. I mean, there's even, I mean, the fact that you could see through that, uh, there are many people who go. I mean, I even got a private email from a lawyer who said he went to, you know, Harvard and, you know, law school and all this other stuff. And he said, you know, Monica, I don't know how it, how it happened to me. I'm yeah. educated. I'm bright. I'm, I work on serious uh, cases. And yet I got, you know, hoodwinked. Oh, yeah into the cult and he finally got out but he was embarrassed you know we were talking about we don't talk on the phone but he was private emailing me about because i talk about that feeling foolish feeling like i said things to my sons that were harmful which it was and thank god i got out but i i just think it's so important and i think that you probably need support as when i left in l.a you know that there are a lot of people who don't agree with this whole 12-step thing but the people who are stars and people who they constantly break their anonymity and they're on these shows, Oprah, whatever, and they think, you know, oh, you know, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to talk about this, but they don't understand that they're never treated like Callie, who is 13-stepped, is treated like a stranger, like a nobody. When a nobody goes to a meeting and they're 23 and they're vulnerable and they got a DUI, they are treated like shit. Of course, I and was treated like that. Yeah. For, right, with a guy with 25 fucking years. At least that's what he says he has, right? Yeah. And he preys on her. Even the guy who's 29 with five years, who knows he's going to do what he's going to do to her. That this stuff with our consciousness in the United States, like, uh, you know, people in, I guess, in Finland, right? And if in Europe, they treat it differently. Yeah, they, they treat it, it well, they treat it. They, they treat it as a as a learned behavior. And it, let me just interject one thing about AA is, that, you know, when I said that I didn't want to stand up and, and I believe a lot in, in, I believe in affirmations and I believe in, in the subconscious a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when I explained to the person running the AA meeting in London that I felt that it was a completely negative thing to stand up and say, I'm an alcoholic, it's like saying I have cancer. Right. And for me, it just it felt like... Uh, that the one you know if all i'm praying for or 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 asking for and all i'm focused on is being healthy why would i want to stand up and say i'm unhealthy right so, well, so yeah and he, and, and, and he, yeah. he said he said, yeah. and he basically said no you have to do that because you have to you have to succumb and, and give in and all their keywords and phrases and i said i said no but that's not coming from a place of of, of optimism it's coming from a place of defeat Right. And, he, and we we constantly battled intellectually on this, and I and that's another thing I had. That, 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 once again, my way or the highway, and there was no room for personality, individuality, mm-hmm. and for me, it, there was no room in discussion. It was it was simply this is these are the rules that were written by some guy who died begging for whiskey. Thank you very much. You know, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So some guy that yeah. brought it, you know, the the, the base, the, the the core base of men in Europe that that originally came up with this whole structure that Bill W. took and brought to America. Yeah, the I mean, Oxford movement. Yeah, they're yeah. really crazy. They were crazy. Well, this is what I, what I, you know, hey, listen, once again, and let me say this, if it's helped you, fine. God bless you. I'm really happy. And, and I anybody who gets better through any method out there, I'm happy for, because this is a bastard of a, of a condition to have. And, and, and being physically addicted to alcohol is probably the same suffering, I would imagine, as a as a obese binge eater. You feel yeah, helpless. Pretty- it's you know, pretty bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, anybody who sits there and binges and then and and get eats until they're sick and weighs 500 pounds knows exactly what an alcoholic feels like, or someone who's physically addicted to alcohol because they they can't stop. It doesn't right, matter. Right. And the thing is, is that alcohol is readily available anywhere. So you know, you you it's it's everywhere. It's subliminal. It's on posters, billboards, this and that. It's the same thing as fast food. If you are addicted to food, you are screwed in this country. And the same thing as alcohol. You're screwed. You know, it's it's everywhere, and it's, it's socially acceptable within reason. Uh, you know, if you behave like a fool, then people get on you. But the, but it's still antiquated in the moral judgment of it. 
So, you know, it's a really tricky thing we have here. And I I do, I have great faith now that the EU has passed this, you know, they, they, they're really promoting Selinkro in conjunction with drinking to stop binge drinking in the U.K. The NHS has gotten behind it. Mm, and they're actually, really? They're, yeah, they're giving out, they're, they're, they're giving Nalmathine, which is Selinkro. Lundbeck is the pharma, uh, the pharma company that, that is um, producing Selinkro, which is Nalmathine, mm, which even, mm-hmm. like I said, people with um, cirrhosis can take. Wow, uh, wow, wow. Yeah. So so this is a huge huge step in the right direction. They they have come out and it was in it was in uh mainstream newspapers and in and, and rag newspapers and it was in magazines and everywhere. They came out and said, "We say the EU said we have approved Selinkro with drinking to curb binge drinking and to stop this 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 horrible scourge on society." So basically the FDA is probably five to ten years behind, but still, it's well. We're gonna we're gonna be the squeaky wheel. I am talking yeah. to Claudia Christian. How about we take a caller? We do have a caller in. Two. Oh, absolutely. Like, okay, it's eight one eight four seven five ninety two eleven. We have about ten minutes left. I'm gonna take a couple of calls. If you have a question or comment for Claudia or myself, eight one eight four seven five ninety two eleven. I'm gonna take this caller. Let me get my thing here. Hello, caller. You're on there. Let me see. Hi, caller. Hi, Monica. Hi, Claudia. Hi. Hi. How you doing, Gunther? This is Gunther, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm just calling to uh, put in my two cents worth about naltrexone. Okay. I um, I actually took naltrexone uh, by accident. The the They gave me a prescription for something else, but the insurance company wouldn't cover whatever that medication was. And they gave me naltrexone, and like Claudia was talking about before, the doctor told me to take it in the morning. I found that it made me nervous at work, so I decided to take it after work, which would be about an hour before I'd start drinking each day. (laughs) And and I don't know much about the Sinclair. I kind of breezed through the book. A lot of it went right over my head about the Sinclair method. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that's pretty much what I was doing. Within a brief period of time, I was I was down to just a few beers, you know. Um, yep. And I was a hardcore drunk. Um, <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And, and you just naturally fell into to doing the Sinclair method because of that circumstance of feeling nervous before work. Isn't that great? <laughs> And well, Gunther, uh, tell, tell her how much you drank. What were you drinking daily? He, I interviewed Gunther. Uh, he's outside of Boston from my film. Mm-hmm. Tell, her how, tell Claudia how much you were drinking when you started. Well, I, I drink about 15 to 20 beers a day probably. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you cut down to a couple after the naltrexone. Yeah, the, the naltrexone yeah. had a profound and almost immediate effect. I That's you're you're what's called an immediate responder. And you know what's interesting about about Gunther's story is that um the people who uh actually were success stories uh during the clinical trials that they did the normal way on naltrexone were um they would give you naltrexone and tell you to be abstinent. And the people who remained abstinent um, fell out of the program and fell off the wagon badly. The wow. people who drank behind yeah. the doctor's back, <laughs> right. behind the clinical trials you know, back, right. and had naltrexone in their system were the ones that actually cut down on their drinking. So then they, you know, they started to realize, oh, gee, you know, because it, it, that, that's how they found out that it actually works. And also the, um, you know, that that's the, a lot of the people were were doing it like Gunther was doing it, you know, just just taking it uh, randomly or deciding, you know, oh, I'm going to do this after, after, you know, at, at night. One girl said, oh, I, I, don't, I don't like taking things in the morning because I have a sensitive stomach. So she decided to take it at night, and that's when she would drink. Right, And right. so she was actually getting the benefits of the naltrexone because um, she was actually inadvertently and unbeknownst to her doing the Sinclair method. And her drinking cut down from about 20 units to about three. So, yeah, it's it's pretty miraculous. If you're an immediate responder... Um, I had one gal recently uh, contact me and say, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'm a freak or something, but I've only taken it twice, and I no longer have any desire to drink. And, and I said, well, that's the honeymoon wow. phase. It's the honeymoon phase, and, and you know, keep taking it. Um, but a lot of people do that. They'll take it. Like for me, the first time I took it, I'm staring at an open bottle of red wine. That doesn't exist. In, it used to not exist in my house, an open bottle mm-hmm. of red wine. You know, <laughs> and I couldn't drink it. I ended up throwing the bottle away after two days because it went, you know, it went off. And I, I thought, God, I didn't drink it. 
Well, you really you know. are the you're really a poster, the big poster child for this. I want to get one more caller in. I want to thank yeah. you, Gunther, for calling in. I'm going to put Bye. you back yeah. on hold. Okay, thanks, Gunther. Yeah. Okay, we have another caller here. Mm-hmm. Hi, caller. Do you have a question? Hello. Oh, I, I don't think I got her in. Let me see. Hello, caller, you're on air. Can I have your name, please? Hi, Monica. It's Laura. Oh, hi, Laura. How you doing? Hi. Hi. I'm great. Hi, Claudia. Hi. How are you? Hi, Laura. I'm great. Thank you. Hi. Good. Hey, um, thank you so much for coming on and for putting yourself out there. It's anyone who's in, who has any prominence at all who can come out and be honest about all this is really like a hero to me. It's it's very, very difficult. And the reason why, your question, the reason why, why people have such a hard time coming together is because of the all or nothing yeah. uh, chance of the 12-step programs. And I have a question for you since you're so open about it, when you were binging, you know, something that uh, clinicians um, know as the abstinence violation effect happens for a lot of people who are in 12-step groups. They they actually promote binge drinking, and I'm wondering if this happened for you. So what happens is it's called AVE, abstinence violation effect. You have a drink, so you violated your abstinence. You might as well just go for it. And then people <laughs> binge. People binge in a way that they never have mm. before, and therefore the self-fulfilling prophecy of, you know, one drink equals one drunk and all the other crap that they tell you in 12-step meetings becomes true for you, and then you go back to the group with your tail between your legs, and they all say, oh, poor baby, welcome back, blah, blah, blah. Wow. I I, I actually have never never heard of that, but it's uh, it, it it does make sense. In a, I mean, psychologically, when you're in that sort of mentality of if you're going to fail, you might as well fail big. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of drug addicts and, and people addicted to alcohol have told me that, you know, when when they when they realize that they were going to disappoint so many people in their group, whether it's mm-hmm. Narcotics Anonymous or Alcoholics mm-hmm. Anonymous, um, mm-hmm. when they realize that they were going to, you know, fester this huge guilt. And this disappointment that yes, they overindulged because they figured if we're going to go out, let's go out with a bang. And mm-hmm. right, and that, right, and yeah, now that's definitely and that, yeah. I'm sorry, and that's also a reason why a lot of people end up in the hospital or dead. It's not because they didn't work the steps, or they didn't have a sponsor, no. or they didn't go to enough meetings. But, it's because but, yeah. Yeah, but but also you have to understand, and 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 I know you all know this, but I'll just reiterate for, for whoever's listening: is that the the, the more you know, the more you you have this alcohol deprivation in your system, as an as somebody who's addicted to alcohol, when you are sober, the longer you're sober, and the more you're sober, which is why, as we said before, a certain somebody was begging for alcohol. You know, when his defenses were down, um, mm-hmm. is is you become you know your your binges become worse. Your need, your physical need for alcohol becomes far more serious. It, it that is an actual and 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 that is a. a I mean, people, even the highest doctors and doctors will talk about alcohol deprivation. That's not something that's hocus-pocus or magic. However, talk, however Claudia, is, that's about, it's it's less than 5% of people will ever have any kind of physical reaction like a delirium tremens. So it's actually not, that's actually, it's actually not true. It's more psychological. For example, you were talking about people who overeat or binge and purge or starve themselves or all of that kind of thing. It's the same kind of thing. Well, I've I've had a cookie. I might as well eat the yeah. whole box now and then go to the store and binge mm-hmm. and then purge it all out and all of that. That yes, yes there is a physiology going on here. Of course there is. At the time that you're drinking or using or eating or behaving mm-hmm. like, you know, a shopping addiction. Yes, a, a gambling addiction. People actually have neurotransmitters firing in their brains when mm-hmm. they walk up to a poker table. Yeah, it's happens. the same place as email, same place as alcohol absolutely. and email and gambling absolutely. and all that. Absolutely, absolutely. But this, this, this in itself does not make it a disease. It makes it a temporary condition, and you can make a choice. You can forgive yourself. Oh, wow, okay, Ugh, I ate a cookie. I can stop now and go ask for help, and not yeah, I at think, a meeting. I think the at difference a meeting between, that's going to make you, yeah, make you dif- start your start your time all over again. Yeah, but the difference between somebody eating food and somebody when you're physically addicted to alcohol, as I can attest to, um, if you don't get the alcohol in your system, you're going to go through withdrawals, and, right. and the withdrawals and and the detoxification and the withdrawals are so frightening 
that you will do anything to get alcohol. It's the same and, thing as and, coming off of heroin or anything, which is different than it's different than food. Food releases the endorphins, you get a high. That's completely different than physically right, yes. needing it so it, you don't go into withdrawal. And that's not just 5% of people. That's that's 8 million alcoholics. Wait, I mean, the whole it, well, it, I'm going yeah. to... Anyway, I know, I know, Laura, I know, I know, I know your time is running Laura, out, Monica. Do I gotta, we have a minute left, so I'm going to have to thank <laughs> okay. you for coming. Oh, no! Okay. <laughs> we could talk yeah, all yeah. night. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, no, I have to put her on hold um, because we have only 45 seconds left. Oh, no! I'm going to have to have you on again. I am so uh, happy. Claudia, we have Claudia Christian. She is an actress. from. She saw her on Babylon 5 and lots of other things. I saw her on Nip Tuck. But it's about the book, and it's called Babylon Confidential. And Claudia if anybody Christian. needs to get a hold of me, Babylon Confidential, it's just Claudia at BabylonConfidential.com, and I can talk to you about the Sinclair Method. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for writing this book. Thank, Thank you, you so Mike. much for it. And we'll talk some more and maybe brainstorm about uh, the ideas that I have with Let's getting get the word the out. Let's get the idea of moderation and, and acceptance out there. I, I'm right on your team. Yay! Thank you so much. <laughs> All right, we'll Thank have you. you on again. Thank you, everybody. Good night, and see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye.